We want to thank Henry Schuett, the chairman of our Board of Deacons, for presiding in this first part of our worship. Uh, there is a little correction that needs to be made in the bulletin regarding the second lesson which we read at this time. This is the second Sunday in Advent, and normally in this Sunday in liturgical churches, um, you use passages of Scripture that have to do with the confession of sin and preparing our hearts for the coming of the Lord. And that's why on one side of your bulletin is printed from the uh, Advent uh, lessons which have been placed in many of the bulletins this morning, uh, a lesson from the 32nd Psalm, which is a prayer of confession. Uh, now that I want to read to you uh, John the Baptist's favorite text, it uh, is one that uh, prepares the way for the coming of the Lord. And then I'll read to you briefly from the third chapter of Matthew instead of the second chapter of uh, uh, Luke as is listed in the bulletin. There are just a few verses from uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up Every mountain shall and hill shall be made low, and the rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And then from Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt about his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sin. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his thrashing floor, gather the wheat into his barn, and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. 
Amen. May God bless to our understanding this important part of his word. And you know, I think John the Baptist would have liked this prayer. I'm going to read it to you. It comes from uh, a play called God's Spell, which was very good. You listen and you make it your prayer too. Let us bow in prayer. Thanks to thee, my Lord Jesus Christ, for all the benefits which thou hast given me and for all the pains and insults which thou hast borne for me. And, O merciful Redeemer, friend and brother, may I know thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly. Our Father, in uttering this prayer, we bring thee our gifts and also now present our minds so that they might be instructed from thy word and that we might give you the fruit of the energy which you give us in life and that you might supervise the gifts to bring glory to you in other places. In Jesus' name, amen. I am not much of a person to go either to symphonies or to great plays, but my wife likes to be cultured, and so when the Edinburgh Festival was conducted in Edinburgh, Scotland, I was asked to take her to an old Vic production of an Anton Chekhov play called The Seagull. Uh, this is a very classical play, and uh, I uh, am not really well-versed or well-read in Russian plays, but I did like this. I hate to admit that I liked something I was drugged to, but I did. Uh, uh, when we got there, there was a, I knew that there was a very famous American actress, Marian Anderson, to be there, and that she was to take part in the play. And uh, the old Vic Company, what they do when they come to a big festival like the Edinburgh Festival, they will usually have one very famous actor or actress. And an interesting thing takes place. Once the play begins, the big actress or actor does not appear. But after the play has been going for a while, the big actress comes on stage. And you can tell why she is big league and the rest of the brethren and sisters are bush league. Because <laughs> she is class all the way. And when she comes onto the stage to give her opening lines, to my astonishment, everyone applauded. They applauded because the Great One had arrived. Well, John the Baptist came into the world as the forerunner so that we would prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was a preparation for John's coming too. John was the cousin of our Lord. And John was born to two godly parents. And you can read about his birth in the first chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. Luke is absolutely fascinated with this strange figure, John the Baptist, because he knows that our Lord Jesus will have many important things to say about John the Baptist. Uh, John's importance to the ministry of Jesus is difficult to overestimate. He came and was born to this two godly people, Elizabeth and Zacharias, who were well stricken in age, but who were godly and had pleaded that prayer which we sang a moment ago, O come, O come, Emmanuel, to ransom captive Israel. 
They wanted the Messiah to come. And yet for 400 years, the, there had been no prophetic word. And when it came time for Zacharias to go into the temple to offer up sacrifice the one holiest time of his life, he was visited by an angel, an angel which told him that his wife, who was well stricken in years, would conceive and that she would give birth to a son and that his name would be called John and that he would be the forerunner, the forerunner of the Lord, the one who would make all of the audience uh, aware of the person who has come. And so we read in Luke 1, for he will be one of the Lord's great men. He must never touch wine or hard liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will persuade many a Jew to turn to the Lord his God, and he will be a man of rugged spirit and power like Elijah, the prophet of old, and he will precede the coming of the Messiah, preparing the people for his arrival. He will soften adult hearts to become like little children, and, we will, and he will change disobedient minds to the wisdom of faith. And then if you stop to look at the opening of each of the four Gospels, if you look at the earliest record of the Gospel, which is the account of John Mark, you will see in the book written by the prophet Isaiah, God announced that he would send his son to earth and that a special messenger would arrive first to prepare the world for his coming. And then Matthew says, Isaiah the prophet had told about John's ministry centuries before. It had been written, I hear a shout from the wilderness, prepare a road for the Lord and straighten out the path where he will walk. I used to walk on the, what was called the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. It had been prepared years before because whenever there came a visit from the king or the queen, they wanted the Royal Mile to be especially prepared for the royal visit. And so John the Baptist has uh, the responsibility of coming to prepare the way of the Lord. This man will be different from other people and he will go out into the desert away from the face of man so that he will commune with God. He is a strange figure and Luke is fascinated with him and so is Matthew for they tell us that uh, he wore a camel hair, uh, a camel cloth uh, uh, clothes and that uh, he had a leather belt about his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And yet he was a powerful preacher of repentance, so powerful that people came from far and near to hear him. There were the infamous tax collectors who had cheated their people, the people that will later be turning to the Lord through the ministry of Jesus, people like Zacchaeus, people like Matthew, who writes a record of the gospel. But these people had betrayed their own people and had served Rome and had cheated people out of their money. But yet they came, they were Jews, and yet they were not living right. And there are Presbyterians who are not living right, and Baptists and Roman Catholics and others who profess to be Christians. 
And so at Christmas time, we need to listen again to the call to repent. And the word repent does not mean that you are simply sorry for your sins, but it means that there is in you, by the power of God, an agreement that you have sinned against him, and you want your mindset changed so that your life will be brought into harmony and into obedience with him. These tax collectors came, these men who were cheats and crooks, and they said to John, what shall we do? And John said to them, collect no more taxes than is appointed. John knew that they had been collecting taxes and then more, which they put into their pockets and were cheating. And so John preached to them repentance, and they were baptized in the waters of repentance, and they were told to come up out of that water and to live new life, that they were to stop their cheating. Soldiers came to him, and they said to him, What shall we do? And he said, Rob no one by violence, because you have the sword and the spear, and you have the military authority and power. Don't use it to intimidate people and to take away uh, their, way, their money, but you be content with your wages and do not cheat. And then John the Baptist attracted even the attention of the religious people. We don't read that any of them went into the waters and were baptized, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees came. The Pharisees were a lay group. They were laymen. Uh, who were intensely religious people and scrupulous about uh, keeping certain laws, and they wondered about John. Uh, they were happy to agree with him that the prostitutes ought to repent and the publicans ought to repent and the soldiers ought to repent, but they weren't so impressed when John said to them that Pharisees ought to repent too. And there were the Sadducees who were the established religious bureaucracy who made their money out of religion but really didn't believe anything. And they were to repent too. And John preached to them in most untactful language. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to where he was baptizing, he said, you brood of vipers. Mine. I wonder how many pulpit committees went home that day. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, it's one thing to come forward or one thing to say that you're going to change, but when I see the fruit, said John, then I'll know. I'll know what's happened. And that comes back to us today. I think we had the best chapel talk we ever had. We had two wonderful chapel talks on Wednesday. But the one by Albert Long, uh, the great four-letter man, the first four-letter man in the history of the University of North Carolina. He was quarterback of the football team. He lettered in basketball, baseball, and track also. Uh, Albert Long spoke here. And Albert has grown tremendously in grace. And what he said to our students was, it's not enough to take one step and say you belong to Jesus, but it's to keep on moving and show by your daily walk that you belong to Jesus. And this is right in keeping with what John is saying here. 
you must produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You say you've changed, you've given your heart to Christ, then your life should show it. People should be able to see it in your daily walk. And he said, don't take any comfort in the fact that you were born a, a Presbyterian or a Jew in this case. He said, God's able to take these stones and make more impressive people. I'm not impressed when you tell me about your uh, heritage. I'm impressed by the way in which you live. And he wants us to remember that too. We used to say of people out in the West in Texas where I came from that you had two kinds of people in the United States. You had the red bloods and the blue bloods. And the blue bloods lived east of the Mississippi and the red bloods lived west of the Mississippi, out in the West. And they didn't care whether your father was the governor of Virginia or not. Uh, they wanted to know what you could do. And John wants to see what you can do too. So John's message, and there are six points to it, basically is this, prepare because the Lord is coming. Straighten up your life. It was a stern, but it was an exciting message, and it was one that demanded a change. Number two, we are not ready for the Lord, he says, and he includes himself. We are not ready for the Lord, he warns, and the Lord does not have any favorites. The Lord is not uh, going to favor the rich over the poor. He is not going to favor the Jew over the Gentile. His warning is straightforward. And so when he calls them a brood of snakes, this man who had been brought up out in the desert where he had seen an axe laid to a tree, and the brush cut down and burned, and snakes come out of the brush, uh, he warns them uh, that they must uh, flee uh, from the wrath, and that no matter how painful it may be, they must change. It's interesting to me that John the Baptist was not even afraid to call to task the king, Herod himself. He rebuked him for his evil and adulterous life, and that later cost him his head, literally. His head was chopped off because of it. But what a preacher he was. He preached the truth, and he preached it to all ranks and files of society, and his boldness was something that caused people to come and listen to him. And then there is something, it says, with many other things he exhorted them uh, to the good news. Now, if you listen to this, you wouldn't think this is much good news, the way he's preaching. But it is good news. It's good news in that it is not too late. You still have an opportunity to change. You still have an opportunity to change. And that's a wonderful thing for you to remember. There used to be a great Scottish evangelist named John McNeil, who died over here in Denver, Colorado. And John McNeil was a great preacher, and he had a man who came up to him one night uh, whose hair was gray, and he said to John McNeil, you've given an invitation for people to give their lives to Christ, but I've done all of these terrible things in my life, and it's no use, it's too late for me. And John said, well, then why don't we have your funeral if you're already dead? Uh, you ought to be buried. But you're up here talking to me, and that means you can change. And so don't be silly. Change your life. Give your heart to Christ. And so his message had a ring of truth. And you know one reason I think people listen to John the Baptist? 
They listened to him because his lifestyle conformed with what he preached to other people. It was a simple lifestyle. Locusts and wild honey is mighty simple. Simpler than I think I could keep down. But, uh, but he lived out in the desert. Nobody accused him of being in it for money. Nobody accused him of currying favor with Herod. What a preacher John the Baptist was. And they listened to him because they saw an authentic ring of truth in what he said. And the word repentance means, of course, that there is a difference. That was the fourth part, and, and uh, he wanted them, uh, he wanted a sign of repentance, and that's where baptism comes in. And uh, he wanted this concrete sign, an outward sign of an inward grace that takes place in their hearts. And then he kept on saying that the Lord is coming. That's the fifth part of his message. The Lord is coming who is going to have full authority. And that's one of the wonderful things about John. When the crowds came to him, they wanted to say to him, we believe you're the Messiah. And John said, no, I am not the Messiah. And so that delegation from the assembly in Jerusalem said to him, then who are you? And you know what he said he was? I am a voice. That's what I am. I am a voice. I am a voice shouting out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. I am a voice. And that voice is the one who said, I am not worthy to pick up the sandals of the one who is coming after me. And when his own followers, you remember that Andrew was one of his followers and John, one of John the Baptist's followers first, when they saw Jesus baptizing, uh, when they saw Jesus at the had come to the Jordan River to be baptized of John. John pointed to Jesus and said of him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's important for us to remember too. And this coming of the Messiah is for all people. That was a note that was new in what they were saying. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the Jews, the sin of the Presbyterians, the sin of the Baptists, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world, that all may be a candidate for salvation through him. Now then, John the Baptist is likened to Elijah because Elijah was the greatest man of faith in the Old Testament. He was the one who challenged the prophets of Baal to that prayer battle on, on, at the mountain, at Mount Carmel. Elijah was that fearless prophet. And here they see echoes of Elijah in John the Baptist in his preaching. And Jesus admires him. And you know, even after John had been put to death and crowds were coming to Jesus, and Jesus said to them, Who do people say that I am? Well, said the crowd, or said his disciples, some people say that uh, you're Jeremiah because you weep over Jerusalem and the sins of the people. Others say that you are John the Baptist risen from the dead. You see what an impression John the Baptist had made on them? They likened him unto Elijah. Well, after he had denounced Herod for his sin, 
Herod had him placed in prison. That's an old, old trick. If you're not going to repent, then put the prophet in jail. The Russians do this all the time. Solzhenitsyn experienced this. Then they exiled him. And we do it too. We turn the radio off or the television. Or we stop up our ears. Or we think about something else. Or we say, this doesn't apply to me. Even if the Spirit of God is speaking. And so, you remember when uh, Amos had the vision of the one who came with the plumb line, that's that thing which a, a brick mason uses to drop and see if the, the line, if the wall is straight. The vision of one with the plumb line measuring the city, measuring Israel, the people of God, to see if they were living according to the commandments in righteousness. God drops a plumb line alongside us. He wants to measure us. You know what the people did? Instead of tearing the wall down and building it straight, they liked to kill the prophets. That's what Jesus said. You killed the prophets when they came to you and wanted to preach the truth to you. And so that's what happened to John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist was in prison, and with this we come to a close, John the Baptist was in prison, the greatest believer also now becomes a great doubter, a greater doubter even than Thomas. He is in prison, and he sends some of his disciples to Jesus, and he asks the question, are you the one to come, or are we to look for another? And I love what an old country preacher said. When John said his worst about Jesus. Jesus said his best about John. When John was in prison, and you can read this in Matthew 11, and he sent his disciples to Jesus asking him the question, are you the one to come, or are we to look for another? John, Jesus sent back the word, to him and John, as John's dis, Jesus sent back the word, go back and tell John, tell John what you hear and see, that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor, and blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Go back and tell John to remember what he was preaching. And let me say this about John. He took his doubts to Jesus. And when Jesus was nailed on a cross, Jesus didn't call out into inky abyss, there is no God. But Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He prayed to the Father. And John, in his doubt, sent word to Jesus. And his faith was restored. And his faith was restored. And if you have doubts, then go to Jesus. Lean on him. I want to close quickly by telling you, uh, we have a lot of kids who go up to Boone or over to Wolf Laurel and go skiing. I went over there one time and my wife got her leg 
half broken, and so we figured we were a little old for that. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's always wise to, to pay that money that you have to pay to get some instructor to teach you how to ski. And I can save you a lot of money by giving you two lessons that he'll tell you right now. Uh, the first thing he's going to tell you before you fall and break your leg uh, is that uh, you cannot stop on skis. It's a big mistake when you're coming down a hill on skis to try to stop. In fact, it's impossible. You don't stop, you turn. You can turn, but you can't stop. And the other thing is that you're going to keep your weight on the downhill ski. If you put it on an uphill ski, you're going to go see an orthopedic doctor. You, you, you keep your weight on the downhill ski. Well, now, when John was down and full of discouragement, he put his weight on Jesus. He put his weight on God. He put his weight on the Scriptures, and God fulfilled and answered his plea and brought to him mercy and forgiveness. Let us bow in prayer. Oh, prepare our hearts, Lord Jesus. Prepare our hearts to receive thee at this time in a different and more wonderful way than any Christmas we've ever known before so that people might see the fruit and the produce of repentance in our own lives and minds and hearts as we consider seriously your demands upon us to live for you and to demonstrate and to show that love to others. Help us again, we pray. O oh, merciful Redeemer and friend, to know thee more clearly and love thee more dearly and to follow, follow thee more nearly. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and guide, be and abide with us all, both now and forevermore. Sweet little Jesus boy